Welcome back to the Girls Stock Ag podcast, plowing through the manure on the internet. It's really online, but I said on the internet because I ad lib. My friends are here. Yo. And they're not just in my head. <laughs> See, there's Jen. And there's Karen. We are rocking and rolling. Send Karen money. Yes. Send Karen money. Is that, are you in my head? I was going to be a voice in your head, I thought. Oh, yeah. send it. Angie brownies. <laughs> if we're going to work that way, go visit my website. See? Yes. <laughs> Farmwifefeeds.com. Yes. Seriously, though, go visit the website. If you don't, we'll find you. Otherwise, you have to give Karen money and Angie brownies. So you choose. You choose. Yeah. And if you're going to give me brownies, Jen will have a hell of a brownies recipe. There is a website. hell of a brownie or recipe on the website. Very good. Yeah. Jen is like the best cooker woman I know. So any any recipes that you're looking for, go check them out. And uh, yeah, make sure that you just set your computer to that being your only area that you can find awesome. to like, yeah, just make it your homepage, farmwifefeeds.com. So, so this week we figured we would talk about, you know, stuff. Tacos and tariffs. And Let's uh, talk about tacos and tariffs. Yeah. Tacos and tariffs, because Kyle from Missouri has crap taste and doesn't like tacos. But the only so time the... I've met him in person was at a Mexican restaurant. Uh, That's so weird. Maybe he's not the same person online he is in real life. Interesting. Yeah, I'm guessing he's just playing a hard ass online. I mean, I don't online. think he ate a taco, but what's the difference between a taco and whatever else you eat at the Mexican restaurant? Right. It's all the same stuff, <laughs> just shoved really, in a it's different all the shell. Same. Yeah, basically, some has vegetables, others Except does not. Part. I'm gonna like a fajita. Have to call foul on the ketchup part. Yeah, Angie, that's disgusting. I, you know, I've been Yo. giving this some thought. I seriously thought because I love Angie, I really do. So you have to see other people's I appreciate point of that. view. So I'm trying here. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, ketchup is a tomato product. Salsa is a tomato product. I'm just I'm, this is this mm -hmm. is as far as I've gotten. I'm trying here. Yeah, it's pretty good. You should no. try it. Like, it's in a hard shell. So there's taco snobs, apparently, on the internet that don't like hard shells either, which is weird because hard shells are delicious. It's just basically one giant taco chip. Right. And who doesn't like taco right. chips? Um, but it's better. Like, you've got to have, like, the right, like, meat, sour cream, ketchup, Ooh. cheese. Dude, that makes me shudder. I'm trying Yeah, it's here. delicious. I'm trying. It's delicious with eat, a soft shell. I will eat a hard you shell, just, but not with ketchup. No, I'm just, I couldn't even imagine it anymore with taco sauce on it. It just grosses me out. I mean, wow. that's disgusting. So, but a soft shell, I like just enough, like I like medium. So I like a little bit of heat in my hot sauce, but the ketchup just kind of gives you a little bit of a cool carry through. That's so it's kind of, it. you know, but that's why we live in a free world. Exactly. Eat, yeah. For people who want to eat ketchup on their tacos. That's just it. Like my great, great, great grandfather may or may not have been in the Revolutionary War to like win me the freedom to determine if I want ketchup right. on my taco. You just okay. Never know. Exactly. So slow your right. roll, everyone criticizing my ketchupness on tacos. You know, ketchup is just a really versatile condiment. You put it on and eggs too. I will. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Eggs and well, anytime you eat breakfast with me, I will order eggs and hash browns and mix them all together and pour ketchup on them and eat them with toast. Oh, I will put ketchup or on American my hash fries, browns, but not on my egg. That works. 
Do you mix your eggs and hash browns oh, together? Yeah. You should try it. I'm 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 a this Waffle House person here. I go with with uh, hash browns scattered, smothered, and covered, and I do eat ketchup on them. Mm. See, so you throw some eggs in there, just the same. Yeah. So it's pretty delicious. I don't know. I'm, you know, I enjoy ketchup. I can't help it. I eat it on my hot dogs too. Chicago, put that in your pipe uh, and see, smoke I'm it. See, I'm close to Chicago, and I put ketchup on my hot dogs too. Don't tell them that they'll fire you. But I'm south from like of Illinois Interstate 80, so I think I'm okay. But yeah, I don't know. In Iowa, if you're south of Interstate 80, people pick on you. Well, it is the home of Alberto, so you got that. Well, I guess that explains that a lot. So much. <laughs> that just did. So, uh, so anywho, now that we got the tacos out of the way, and Kyle's opinion is junk. Let's just call it what it is. Pure. How garbage. did we let him on our um, podcast? I know, right? You know, he didn't just like he didn't tell me, you know, prior to like when we had the whole vetting process, which we really don't have a vetting process, obviously, because we're the hosts. So like if there was a vetting process, I'm pretty sure one of the three of us or all of us would not have qualified, <laughs> would not have qualified. for the gig. Uh, yeah, he didn't expose like his take on tacos until just recently. Apparently, he was emboldened by his appearance on our show. I thought it, he, that's what so I'm going to go with. We created the beast. Yeah. We created the monster by giving him a big head by allowing him to be on our show. That's the way I see it. So, so anywho, uh, we have decided that we should probably talk about markets because, hey, everyone else is probably doing it. So we might as well. Um, and it seems to be kind of in the forefront of everyone's mind, right? Nowadays, we're getting ready to harvest. We are um, harvesting. And we, Where do you live? You we are, are harvesting. harvesting. I live in yes. Michigan. Um, you guys not I started? It won't harvesting. stop Yes. Yeah. Which makes sense. When we were coming through, like when we moved a month ago, that was definitely you know, the situation you were really, you were really working your way towards being ready to harvest. So what are you seeing out there, Karen? Like yield wise, how about it? You know, Jen, you guys, are you running yeah. too? Yeah, Jen? we're running. It, it kind Pretty of depends hardcore. on where you are. There's a triangle in central Illinois that's like Champaign to Decatur, Springfield over to Jacksonville that's had some pretty spectacular yields, but they were also on the cusp of almost being dry most of the season, which is when we tend to have better yields. Um, it gets a lot more variable if you go south of there. There's a lot of 155 to 195s. Um, there's a tough part over by Kankakee where there's a lot of 130s. Um, my guys in Iowa, there's been a lot of 2 to 220s and some a fair amount of 180 to 200s too that they weren't expecting. So, And the guys in northern Iowa, they're, they're kind of in your situation. They're still in the rain. So, Yeah, it just won't stop. Um, I mean, here... I don't want to complain, obviously, because it's 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 not been heavy. It's not been like I mean, parts of of uh, northwestern Iowa, like Spencer up that way, they had nine inches at one point last week overnight. Jeez, and not the good kind. Right. I was just gonna um, say they weren't satisfied. And uh, <laughs> right, that's not the exact opposite. It was quite disappointing, actually. And uh, so, I mean, that's. That's awful. Like there were pictures down by Clemmy, which was, I believe, south of where I was. Well, I know it was south of where I was because there wasn't much left north of where I was. But um, they had fields flooded, but it was hard to tell. Had they been ran prior? 
um, combine to cut whatever you say. I say re- in Southern Illinois with that last hurricane that came through. A lot of the river bottoms flooded, and Ugh. so totally mature crops yeah. were lost. And frankly, you know, it's kind That's of a race against a time because the stock strength out there is terrible. So if we get any rains or any yeah. big storms that come through here, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, it looks like we'll be okay. I mean, right, at least here, right now for us, we're looking at uh, three days of pretty decent um, weather, like kind of chilly. We got a little bit of wind. We can't seem to buy sunshine right now for some reason. Um, I feel like it's personally my fault because I was just bitching about how hot it was and how I was ready to wear hooded Uh sweatshirts. But problem is I haven't unpacked them yet. They're still downstairs in a tote to be found later, apparently. Um, but like we just, it's so we have some guys running. It's just basically been a very slow trickle into the elevator thus far. And, uh, the maturity is really random, like really widespread here. Like we have some fields that are ready to run or are being harvested. And then we have some that are just starting to turn. So, uh, harvest will probably run into November for us unless we get like a really hard freeze here sometime soon, which isn't in the forecast. It's going fast. Really? A lot of the big guys have finished corn already. So, oh, wow. 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 How are you? How are things going for you, Jen? You know, um, they're slow and steady around here. We had the past, uh, gosh, the past, we've been out for the past three or four days with rain. Um, actually right before we started, uh, recording, um, and today is, what is today? Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. We just, I just helped move stuff to the field and said, I'm going back in the house to record. Um, I'll be back out in an hour. Um, we're slow and steady around here. People aren't, don't seem to be in a big rush. I don't really have much yield knowledge from other people. Our corn is doing good. Our soybeans are doing average. Um, now we're harvesting right here around the house pretty close. And right here we had really good rains when we needed them. Uh, when we get farther away from home we did not have as much rain on those farms. So we'll have to wait and see what those do. Yeah. So we've had some guys start with high moisture and uh, the the guy right here, local, they were running right around the farm, the house here. And he said it's the most variable crop that he can remember harvesting. Is that right? Um, yeah. But the overall, you know, the overall average, he said it will end up being pretty decent, Ooh. but it was late later planted. And, um, like the 15th of July, they ended up in that week stretch right here at the house, mm-hmm. um, got like two and a half inches of rain. Oh, wow. It was a very isolated storm that came through and, and dumped a chunk of rain on them. And so he says that he expects this to be some of the better stuff they run. So, um, Our- so yeah. There's some issues with some soybeans in between mm-hmm. you two, um, in North kind of Northern Indiana across into Ohio it's pretty bad and then um here and there I know it's in Louisiana and some other places too that before those last big rains the pods had dried and kind of split and then they took heavy rains and they took the water got into the pods and the seeds took them up and started germinating I've seen that yeah that was were they talking about that last week or the week before last on Twitter yeah yeah there were a couple of us talking about it um so that's going to be kind of an issue because oh, wow. a lot of those were seed beans. Um, 
Yes, so the seed be- those were seed beans, and then there were also some soybeans lost, seed soybeans lost in that flooding too. So um, you may want to think about that, and if you have specific things you want to order. But um, yeah, so that's a phenomenon that we haven't really had too much. I mean, we've had corn sprouting, and we had some of that again this year, but it's usually you know just some of the kernels where these were you know large portions of the field and whole fields that were taking in water and uh, starting to germinate in the pods. So that's never moisture, good. Wow. Moisture but. around here um, on our corns running 18 to 20%. So, you know, that's pretty positive. The beans um, are oddly dry around here. Our ours have been. Yeah. So are they, the ones here. Yeah. Um, like see, our corn here dried fast. Like one day it was 30 and like two days later it was 20 and then you know, some of it coming out was 14. That's crazy. So it's, uh, yeah. So it'll be different. It, so, yeah, I don't think it's a bad crop, but quality may be an yeah. issue in some places. We so. had beans come off in the center of the state in some spots last week that were 11%. Uh, we, that, really, we opened, that really shocked me. Yeah, we opened up a field that was 9%, um, and by evening they'd gone back up to 13%, but 9% is pretty, mm-hmm. it's too low. Yeah, nine percent is way too low. Yeah, yeah. So that's a struggle. It just seems like, and I don't know. Like I said, it's it's just for me anyway. The last couple years, like prior to it, would have been like 2010. The idea of a September bean harvest was like out of the question here in Michigan, anyway. And then we had like four or five years where you didn't see it again. And then like 2015, I think it was. right before I moved, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, right, right before, um, I moved, it was like really early, but last year was the earliest that I remember. And then this year was actually a week earlier than last year, um, that some folks started nothing crazy. Like I said, just a couple loads here or there, but to have them come out at 11%, the third week of September was quite surprising, but it was in a drier area as well. So they kind of race to maturity. I haven't heard how they were yielding just yet, but the grower was happy that um, he was happy that they were 11, you know, and not worse, not shattering and, and not, you know, he didn't get out into them and smear the hell out of them at like 18 or something like that. But obviously you'd prefer to run around 13, 13, five, but I don't know if this year's going to let us do that at all. So, and we had the same thing happen last year. We started harvest really early with dry beans around here. Um, dry soybeans and uh uh october it started to rain and just didn't want to stop and then we were you know running 18 percent, 20 percent moisture beans in the first week of november so hopefully we don't have to deal with that again because i might have to punch someone (laughs) so so yeah so just you know kind of status update of the area i think we're just trying to get started here but we also were very delayed and then we've had some rains so which doesn't make me sad because i need to empty out a bean bin not because of piss poor planning on my part, but piss poor planning on someone else's part that turned into a emergency for me, but we'll make it through. So, so yeah, just cause you have stuff sold doesn't mean it gets to ship sometimes, I guess, but, but yeah. Uh, well, and how much does that leads me into something else here? Um, how much does that, um, those loose barges on the Mississippi interrupt stuff? Uh, it could be a big deal. Um, what it does, you know, and I'm not a river market trader by any means, so someone else who listens can call in with a, a better answer. But it, it basically, I think I'd read they had shut down, they were shutting down a certain area 
along north the of St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, that just stops the flow of grain from north of St. Louis south, which means that you may see some short-term firming of values south of St. Louis just because they're trying to get beans moving that way. I had heard that there's some concern over quality issues in the Delta too. So if you're sitting south of St. Louis, then you could see some some market structure firming just simply, especially if they have something to get loaded, a boat to load or something like that down in the Gulf. Um, but it'll all depend. It's just, it's not what you want to see. You know, this time of year, you want logistics to move as smoothly as possible, whether it's rail or boats or having boats come in to load or something like that, like truck availability, all of that junk. Like if you have stuff to move, you really need the pipeline to continue to to move it, you know. So anytime mm-hmm. you see that, it's it'll be frustrating for people, especially traders like who have, you know, who have ideas of what needs to take place. And then suddenly that changes on them. You know, logistics is is like the most important part of facilitating harvest, you know, more so than, than anything else. So it always causes some concern if, if you see things stop moving, you know, so, so I don't know. And so that it just adds insult to injury when it comes down to it, because we already have weak basis. And so like part of the reason or part of the, what we need to see in order to, you know, kind of see that strengthen would be an actual flow of grain through the pipeline. Now, obviously one, you know, delay or one problem in the whole entire structure, you know, may not mean a whole lot, but when you're already dealing with that and the PNW and rail freight issues up North and all that good stuff, then it just, you know, like I said, adds insult to injury more than anything, you know, but, uh, I don't know. It all depends. What are you hearing or what are you seeing, you know, in your guys' area when it comes to markets, are you hearing much from your growers? Jen, Jen, are you guys seeing much? Are you taking your stuff right in or are you? Uh, we store almost all our corn. Uh, soybeans are going straight into Bungie uh, for processing. Uh, okay. Meal and oil. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not, I don't think it's doing too bad, but we don't have any place to store it. So we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. Yeah, which a lot of farmers are dealing with. Like, what was that the, deal in the north where they weren't even taking soybeans? There was no bid or whatever. Yeah, there in North Dakota, there's pl- spots I think, and there could be even in South Dakota, parts of Minnesota, whatever. But um, you know, North Dakota has had like four record crops in a row. Like, I I think they even had a decent crop in twelve. But soybean wise, they just continue to grow more and grow more and and hold on to more. And, uh, you know, really become reliant upon freight, rail freight, getting it out of the area and and sending it over to the West, you know, the Pacific Northwest there for loading and shipping into China and stuff like that. So, you know, when I was up there in December for the first time, you know, there's, there were ground piles in places. Now, when I say ground pile, I think a lot of people assume that you just have open air soybeans or open air corn or something like that, but that's not... I mean, it's tarped and it's and it, it's a it's a decent pile. It's temporary storage setup and all that good jazz. But uh, there were ground piles and I mean bins everywhere. It blew my mind. I had never been up there before to see what they had going on for storage or anything like that. But um, when I was up there for the um, the Prairie Grains Conference in December, the conversation was bean basis even then. Oh, it's 85 under. It's just not fair. It's so wide. Everyone else has this opportunity at $10 beans. And we're sitting here, you know, looking at sub 10 because our basis is so wide. And then fast forward three months later, same exact situation, still complaining, except for then it was like 90 under 
um, you know, maybe even a touch wider than that. And that was March. I, like I said, I went, went back up there to Fargo, um, the end of March and spoke for, uh, John Deere at an air seeder conference. And that was the, you know, the conversation again, well, our basis is so wide, there's nothing we can do with it, yada, yada, yada. And so you had a lot of farmers holding on to bushels, and then you had a lot of elevators also holding on to bushels with this idea that their basis was too wide and was going to have to firm as we worked our way into the summer months. Well, the opposite happened because we got into a trade war with with China. Brazil had another record crop that they could ship out. So you saw futures go up, but basis didn't have to because we found that we had significant competition with a 119 million metric ton crop coming out of Brazil, you know? And so how close are we to having that happen everywhere? I mean, honestly, the production is outproducing our demand. Significantly. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. An 845 million bushel carryout projected is concerning. You know, to me, I would say the Western corn belt would experience it before we would in the Eastern belt. Um, you know, for, for two reasons. Reason number one is that we had a couple production shortages or at least lower than, um, lower production than what they'd had out West. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, especially in what, 16 was where we saw that big downturn in Indiana and, uh, um, Illinois, Ohio was a little bit rougher. I think it was 16. So the market got really strong then, And we chewed through a lot of supplies. Like there weren't really a lot of old crop soybeans sitting around, at least here in Michigan, um, the last month. You know what I mean? Now, Indiana maybe, but even Claypool, like you look at Claypool's bid and they were really, really pushing for quick ship beans. Um, You know, so if you were sitting on old crop beans, they were willing to suck them up. Claypool was. Um, And they chew through 40 some million bushel a, a year. And then you have Bungie. Um, and then you have ADM, Fostoria, you know, you have three major crushers, you know, I'm just thinking specifically like Indiana and Ohio, and then the Windsor market really firmed up too into Michigan. So you saw, but I mean, for everyone to experience a no bid market structure probably is not going to happen. I mean, if we had a secondary large crop like this one on top of carrying forward 850 million, Maybe, or if we had like a super dry harvest across the entire corn belt where everyone was running, you know, balls to the wall and harvesting every single acre of beans in 10 days, that would also be a concern. But I would say at this point in time, that doesn't look to be an issue just because we have rain in the forecast in different spots throughout the stretch. And uh, we do have demand. I mean, obviously we're shipping beans out. Argentina has been buying them. Mexico has been buying them. We're crushing beans at almost max capacity, um, and we have a lot of space to put beans in. So, you know, in a, in a lot of areas, I don't think you'll deal with it. You may see wide bids. You may see 90 under. You may see a buck under, but you'll be able to ship them into the, the market at harvest if you have to. So talk about, let's let's talk about tariffs if we're ready. And I need yeah. a course on tariffs for dummies. So let's just start at the beginning. But one of my questions is when you said Argentina is buying beans and so is, uh, what'd you say, Mexico? What, what Mexico we, is big time, yeah. Yeah. What are we doing about those countries now that we don't have our, in a trade war, so to, not so to speak, we are in a trade war with China. What are we doing about those countries that are buying U.S. beans and then selling them to China because they don't have a tariff? 
I mean, well, that's yeah. I mean, we don't care. We we want that. You know what I mean? Like we okay. kind of want that to to happen. We just want the demand. We don't care okay. um, who it it comes from, so to speak. We don't care if China's getting beans. Um, you know, we'd love to have them come direct to us and and get them bought. China may be the one that has a bone to pick about it. And uh, so, like the 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 Ontario grower or the Ontario exporters, there's been a really, really strong Ontario export market. Um, but you really don't see that carry over into purchasing of Michigan soybeans because the big players over there don't want to be known as the group that's buying Michigan slash U.S. beans to ship out of Canada, which would obviously be the easiest way to go about it. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. slap a Canadian sticker on them and sh send them uh, to China. Now, the concern like the big players like Cargill and some of these other groups have over there is that they will become known as the group that's trying to, you know, like usurp the Chinese tariffs. And so they don't want to get smacked with that idea. So there's there is that conversation, but it's obviously happening in some respects like, um, you know, and, and I've sold into Canadian crushers like I have 50,000 sold into a Canadian crusher that they'll come pick up. Um, but that'll be, you know, crushed for, for meal. That's not going to make its way into the export market that I know of. Um, but there's been a conversation on Twitter this week, you know, well, you can't, you can't buy us beans and ship them into China because they're tracked. And that's kind of a, a silly statement, just in the sense that once it's tossed into a bin in Canada or Canadian beans, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter where they came from. Like they're, they are, it's just the same as saying old crop and new crop right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like blended. Yeah. You throw old crop, you have an old crop corn chilling in a bin half full and you put new crop corn on top of it. Are you going to be able to determine which one's the old crop and which one's the new unless you, you know, without any sort of major quality shift? No, not really at all. Like, so it's silly to think that no one, you know, well, we could tell, okay, well, it must be really hard to paint that American flag on those little tiny beans. I, you know, <laughs> we helped increase uh, economic strength in Canada by employing millions of people that have to tiny, paint tiny, tiny flags. flags made in the USA. But yeah, like USA beans. But, um, you know, so when it comes down to it, though, it is totally possible for arbitrage to take place. So like, for us, you know, on the just in the normal grain side, there's plenty of times where I may sell into like a wheat mill and ha buy it from someone else. So I'll sell it into a wheat mill and I'll buy it from someone else. Maybe it's a Canadian. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a, another elevator of some sort or something like that. And they'll just deliver into that wheat mill under my name. And as far as the wheat mill is concerned, it's citizens wheat, you know, or something like that. And so that happens. It can happen globally as well, where, you know, you'll sell beans maybe to Argentina. And the question is, are they going to, you know, are they going to take delivery at the ports of Argentina? You know, are you going to take U.S. beans, put them on a boat, send them to Argentina, unload them there and then reload them and ship them to China? You know, that can happen. Um, but you could also, you know, potentially see, and I'm not saying this is happening because I haven't seen how the freight trail looks, you know, obviously, but you'll be able to tell here before much longer, you could actually see it load, you know, for sale under an Argentina flag, you know, basically and, and be dropped at a port in Asia somewhere. My so that hurts. can happen too. My head hurts. Like what? <laughs> yeah, mine does too. 
Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But no. yeah, I mean, that's really, you know, there's a lot of ways with cash grain that you can move it all over the, you know, there's, there's been times that I've handled cash grain with three names on it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Fred bought it from Joe elevator and they, Fred sold it to, you know, another group who sold it to me or something like that. Like it seems silly. It happens more in feed trade than anything else, but it, it happens, you know, it's, it's not a new phenomenon by any means. So tell me about the tariff war with China tariff yeah. for dummies. I need to know. Okay. Like which part, how tariffs work or yeah, how tariffs work. So, I mean, the consumer still ends up paying for it, right? Yeah. I mean, most of the time. So what it does is it increased costs, you know, and then it ends up getting passed on. So um, just on the import side of things. So, like, if you are a buyer of Chinese goods and you bring them from China into the U.S. and they happen to be on the tariff list, there's a 25% tax that's added or accumulated as you purchase that product. So 25% of value or whatever it may be. So like, you know, um, let's say with China on the soybean side of things for every bushel or every, you know, yeah, every bushel of beans that comes through, I believe they have a 25, they may have a bit higher than that um, export. It's 25% right now, but they've talked about increasing it. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, So for every bushel of beans that comes through, um, they just, from the U.S., they just increase the price 25%. So if you figure and, and it's ten dollar beans, passed down the line, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it'll be passed down the line. It'll be passed down the line on the consumer side here in the U.S. So if if right. Walmart is importing goods from China and that price, the price of that that good, whatever it may be, the price of those shoes or that T-shirt or that TV, if it's coming from China and they have to pay an additional twenty five percent, you know, you might eat it short term just because you simply don't want to pass that twenty five percent on to your consumer if you feel that it's going to be lifted very soon or it'll be, you know, refunded retroactively or something like that, which we've seen happen in the past. Um, you know, they they have to eventually, you know, after a while you, you get the the gist that it's not changing. So then you have to turn around and um, pass that on to the consumer, some sort of an amount of it, but it does start to eat into your margin. Right. You know, and so that's what you're seeing with the Chinese crushers, you know, they could buy uh, Brazilian beans, um, that were cheaper for a while, even though the Brazilian basis was record high and the price had increased significantly for domestic supplies in Brazil, um, with a 25%. So you figure that the cost of beans in China is running around 12 bucks, give or take, you know, you're looking at a $3 increase in value. So what was $12 add 25% to it. It's now 15. So they, you started seeing, the big chunk of uh, Brazilian beans gain in value. And for the longest time, it didn't matter because, you know, you had that $2.50, $3 additional charge on top of any U.S. bean that went over there. So now Brazil's starting to run out of supply. Uh, the sales have been committed and the beans have been moved and the pipeline starting to become depleted, you know, basically until March, February, when they start harvest again. And so you've seen their basis shoot higher 250 to three dollars over if not a bit more once you know once delivered in and so now we're starting to see us versus brazil become to parity 
which means equal. Um, and in some cases, U.S. beans might be a little bit cheaper. Now, obviously, our dollar under basis in some areas, which that wasn't what the basis was at the Gulf by any means, but we had a weaker basis at the Gulf for out of our export terminals. And so that lower basis combined with lower prices, you know, versus higher basis um, with the same futures value in, in Brazil made it is has made it possible for the Chinese buyers to to purchase U.S. beans. But many Chinese buyers at this point have basically been instructed not to buy U.S. beans. So at least blatantly come out and buy U.S. beans. So that's been really interesting to watch. I guess there were two boats that were loaded. The first one was supposed to have landed there yesterday, and I haven't seen any update as to how it was treated, if it was even unloaded or if they will unload it. You know, there's some talk that it could sit at the port for a couple weeks or more while people wait, you know, while they wait to get some sort of determination as to whether or not they can even unload it. So that could be fun for someone. How long can beans sit on a boat? I have no clue. They should be dry. Um, you know, I can't imagine it would be much different than sitting in like a flat storage without a fan or anything like that. So as long as they're dry and and the boat itself is is relatively watertight and all that good stuff, I think, it, you know, it should be able to sit there for a few weeks. So I think it was earlier this week or last week. I honestly don't know. Sometime in the past past two weeks, I febrezed my hair and changed my clothes and went and had lunch with my U.S. representative. Hollingsworth. Yeah. And um, look at you. I know, look right? Sometimes I'm fancy. Sometimes I don't know shit. Um, <laughs> you know, and he was talking about this tariff and how how at this point we had to um I I don't know, we'd been taken advantage of long enough. It was time to make a point. Mm -hmm. And um how how long can this go on? I mean, and who's going to come out on top? What industries are going to come out stronger from this? And and who can hold is ag going to be one of those that doesn't? Well, yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, this may work in the long run, but for which industries? Yeah. Well, and that's the question. So there's a big concern right now over how long term the implications are. Like, there's conversation that. Um, you know, this could be a 30 year problem, if not longer. You know, um, there really is a, a big concern that we could, you know, forever kill the Chinese market structure, you know, the Chinese U.S. trade relations, which I'm, you know, I'm really in this in this business specifically, there's no such thing as never or always. You know, there's it's just it, it's not how it works. Like there's never a never. Because you can say never and it'll happen. And you can say this always happens and it won't, you know. And so uh -huh. there's this idea that, oh, we'll never get the business back. Well, we we very well could. It could take a year. It could take five. It could take 10. It could take 30. It de it depends, too, on the the uh, agreement um, that comes to, to fruition here. Now, um, there is a lot that could be said for taking care of China. I think the biggest thing, and I talked about it a little bit earlier on a, a different podcast, not that I was cheating on you. It was a, it was a market interview, I swear, but um, <laughs> they, you know, we're kind of talking about China and you know, the fact is, is China is still receives um, developing country or favored status from the world trade organization. So that means if you're if you receive favored status as a developing nation, there's certain trade things that you can do um, that are not allowed by the World Trade Organization when it comes to developed nations. So 
like things that the U.S. is capable of doing when it comes to subsidies or tariffs or something of that nature, you know, the opposite or China can can go about way above and beyond. They can subsidize certain industries. They can place value added taxes on things on imports, which they have. A VAT tax has been on corn imports since 2011, I think. Um, they can make decisions and and follow through with different trade pro. Uh, trade procedures, you know, over and above. And and then on top of that, you have the intellectual property theft, the forced, um, the, you know, if you want to do business and avoid a, a giant tariff over there. So let's say you have some sort of something you developed and you want to sell into the billion person economy that China is, is touting. That's cool, but you have to open a factory over there and you have to, um, you have to, you know, basically, share your intellectual data slash patented sort of, you know, ideas with folks that are in China. So you're basically just handing over what could be, a you know, something that you've developed completely on your own, you know. Um, so China has done a lot of things that are kind of shitty, but, you know, I saw a quote last night and it really kind of stuck with me and it, it said, we too often talk about trade while using the vocabulary of vocabulary of war and war for one side to win the other must lose but commerce is not warfare trade is an economic alliance that benefits both countries there are no losers only winners and that was ronald reagan you know and that that's a very true statement in that sense so it's, it's just really a struggle right now because obviously you know there's not really going to be any winner in this deal you know, at this point, although it does appear as though there will be some short-term gain you know we've seen short-term gains in american steel and some other things but you know from an overall standpoint you know we all seem to you know i don't know i guess it depends on your political leaning what you think is if you think you're winning or losing right now for sure yeah yeah i mean there's things that needed to change like i'm not going to argue that you know what i mean like um there are things that needed to change there are, are unfair trade practices that the the u.s that china has been using you know, that they're allowed to use because of their favored status with the World Trade Organization that should change. But, um, you know, right now it feels like there's really no end, end game. You know, what the, or, the administration says they've been very clear about what they're trying to accomplish, but I've been following this since they introduced it and I don't know what the what actually they're trying to accomplish, to be honest. But I'm not very smart. You're smarter than me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd even go that far. You know, um, but it is a it's a huge issue. I mean, and, and I would say, you know, obviously we have a record crop with large carry out. You know, those two things combined would hurt futures anyway. But the actual right. trade, you know, the lack of demand out of China when you would typically see a large amount of demand um, is influencing, I would say, some basis trade that's taking place out that way. So there's that. I don't. That's a whole lot. It is a lot. It sucks. I hate it because you just don't know what's going to happen. It makes my brain hurt. I don't want to trade it anymore. Like I just, it's really one of those things where right now I have no freaking clue. And then to add insult to injury, like our non-GMO food grade business, we export a lot of beans into Japan. Well, guess who just decided that we're going to, you know, revisit Japanese trade discussions, which we had already done this once by trying to get TPP rolling, which obviously TPP was not a perfect trade solution, you know, from what folks have told me in the past. But 
you know, we developed this trade partnership with Japan and now, you know, we abandoned it as soon as uh, the Trump administration, you know, kind of came into power there. And now we want to revisit it. And Japan's, you know, said blatantly yesterday, you know, we're not going to get any better deal from an ag export standpoint into the country than the countries who are a part of TPP. Like Japan still has a little bit of a bone to pick, you know, that we walked away from that because it almost completely fell apart when we walked away. And that's, you know, what, five, six, 13 countries. I don't remember how many exactly. But that was a big thing, too. So now Japan's up in the air. Canada's up in the air. China's up in the air. You know, everyone said that we did something with Korea this week, but that was no different than what was already there. We won Europe. We've gotten Mexico. And that's been helpful. I mean, we saw giant sales in Mexico this week. So viva la Mexico, um, at least, you know, but... um, margaritas for all yeah and corn chips yeah. tacos with ketchup for everybody there you go the discussion is just way <laughs> I, over just, my head so yeah there's so much to understand and i'm like i can load a semi really well so i'll just stick to that so i just keep thinking i saw an email today from the illinois soybean association that um their marketing person was meeting in new york yesterday with um yeah the president of cuba and uh it was funny because I just saw him yesterday in the school. Look at you rubbing but, elbows. Everyone, <laughs> all of my friends are important. Yep. That's all I, you know all what I did yesterday. I, I went and paid my property taxes two weeks late because I forgot. And uh, I paid my, my penalty. I was penalized. <laughs> that word always makes me giggle. Um, but, uh, and that was much, it. I got a haircut. It was cool. much like, uh, shrink dockage shrinkage and right? <laughs> yeah so that was the that was an awesome tweet. that was what had come up as a question is uh dockage shrinkage and beepage was it a question or just just uh, a comment? statement i think <laughs> and like jen said you know i thought we were going to talk about elevators so you know and there's always this idea that elevators are hosing you let me tell you straight up right now um I can only accept or I have to take what I take in. I have to treat like I'm shipping it out because there's been plenty of times when I first came in that, well, when I first started, um, we took a bunch of beans in and it was right after the Claypool, Indiana crusher had opened. And so they shrink to FM to zero. So whatever FM you have that comes off, you're not allowed a little bit of FM. It comes right off your weight. So Um, if you, you know, what we did is our inbound was we'd only shrink to one. Okay. Well, handle a million bushel and take 1% of a million and figure out how many bushel that is. You know, I'll do the math for you. It's (laughs) 10,000. So I keep thinking is I was in the pool, right? I was in the pool. (laughs) But that's what it is. So you lose, so you handle a million bushel, you, you give 1% shrink away, you get, ship it into the end user and you don't get that 1% and you lose 10,000 bushels. So guess what? Congratulations. You know, at the time beans were worth 13 bucks, even if they're only worth $8 today, you just gave away $80,000 because you're a nice person, you know? And so elevators basically have no choice but to grade how their end user is going to grade. And so, you know, as, as things get more difficult, you know, when it comes to export markets, ask your, ask your trader, how the export market's working. I mean, quality 
demand of quality. And you saw that happen with China over the last few months. Like they started this horse shit last winter where it was, well, we'll accept, you will only accept 0.5 or 1% from the US, but we'll accept 2% of FM from Brazil. You know, like they started screwing around with us a year ago on stuff like that. So as your export market gets tighter too, then your inbound shipments have to, you have to get tighter on your inbound shipment quality or else you're just going to yourself. And it doesn't, it's not as fun as it sounds, you know? So, you know, that's, but there are some places that are unnecessarily mean. And I call that the crazy hot matrix, but for cash markets. And that usually means, you know, you've seen the crazy hot matrix, right? Like, if she's yeah, super hot, yeah, she's probably very crazy. And so if the bid is super hot, it's probably going to have some sort of connection to it that's going to be a pain in your ass. Your grades are going to be higher. Your expectation is going to be greater, something of that nature. You don't get the the premium just for the hell of it. You know what I mean? So you have to also figure in your crazy hot matrix when it comes to where you're selling your grain, you know, for sure. So, but Obviously, some folks don't have the ability to truck another 60 miles up the road or they don't even have, a, you know, a secondary um, option 60 miles up the road. Like some are are very limited. Some have all of the people, you know, they've got elevators falling out their ass. They can go all over the place, but it's it just depends on what you're you're stuck in. But yeah, so dockage, shrinkage and f***age. Good one. I uh, like speaking it. of f***age, what about those? Um, This is not totally off topic but what about that elevator was it in minnesota where the guy went like to new zealand hunting on their money oh my god yeah i don't know how that happens now i really don't i mean obviously i know how it happens like you can embezzle i mean crazy old little ladies figure out how to embezzle but i don't know where the board was and where the auditor was i mean for us like first of all my CFO knows if you've lost a penny, you know, and then the bank also does. But we had three elevators go under here in the state of Michigan. They were smaller facilities. One was rather large up in the thumb a couple, three years ago. But um, I don't think any of them were going on million dollar hunts. I mean, if your elevator manager's driving up in a freaking, you know, Land Rover or a BMW or something and taking extravagant vacations and wearing fancy shoes you might want to check out what the hell they're where they're getting their money just saying can you imagine blowing 500 grand on taxidermy i just can't no i can't at all not even close i mean i can't imagine doing that with my own money let alone having the balls to do it with someone else's <laughs> yeah steal someone's money and then do it you know i don't know like i said i mean i don't understand how no one was like hey wait a minute where is he getting his money you know what well, I mean? Like, his house was like back behind some trees and kind of set back. And that's where he had like a shed or something with all his taxidermy. So it was kind of, it seemed like a lot of it was more lore than anyone, you know. And yeah. Obviously it turned out to be fact, but. God, that's so weird to me though. Like I just, I mean, I could see just being a shitty manager and running the the company into the ground because you don't know how to do any differently, but. Um, especially with a co-op, like the co-op board and the farmers that are a part of a co-op can call for a, any sort of audit, like an outside audit. That's part of most of the bylaws, as far as I understand. Like if you see something weird um, from what I, I mean, maybe you have to have a majority majority vote or whatever, but it seems like you should be able to be like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like 
And he just disappeared. Like, they haven't found him yet, have they? I don't know. I didn't know that part. He just disappeared? Oh, yeah. He didn't show up for the board meeting, like, on September 10th, and somebody else told another elevator employee that he had him drop him off at a certain location but told him not to look back because he didn't want him to see if anybody picked him up or not and nobody's seen him since yeah he hasn't God. answered any questions i don't know where his wife is either but really and she obviously was a part of it you know yeah well she went on the last hunt i guess to new zealand so yeah that's and yeah thinks that the elevator really is screwing everybody and getting a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean there's two different types of of uh involved spouses you know obviously and it's the same in any sort of operation like they either know exactly what's taking place and have a general understanding of of what's going on or you can tell them anything and they'll believe it you know and that's i guess not i have no idea on this person what she was up against but yeah i mean if you're seeing some really weird things happen in your elevator then you know you probably should be questioning what's going on <laughs> and it's your grain it's your money like especially if you have dp bushels sitting there because i don't think dp's covered by indemnity in minnesota i know it's not in iowa michigan it is i think oh it is i think you can liquidate it at that day's price and you'll mm-hmm. get the indemnity based on that as far as i knew um i don't know it may be now i don't know originally it wasn't in indiana yeah but they may have changed that several years back i honestly spoke out of turn and don't know shit no no you're right though in most places if you were to put it on twitter right now is dp covered in your state most everyone would say no hell no that's why they don't usually do dp you know at least with warehouse it becomes an obligation that the elevator, you know, you still maintain title. The elevator's just holding it, whether it's warehouse or commercial storage or something like that. But as far as I know, in Michigan, it was covered at least. Now, you know, obviously in the case of like Virison, when they went under, we had $6 contracts sold into them. And that didn't mean Jack because they weren't there anymore. So like we had corn sold for six bucks. And at the time it was then worth three. And we just took a $3 hit. My old company did. Because we had to pass hedges off because we ran out of credit because it was 2008-ish. I can't remember what exactly what year it was exactly. I think it was 2008 or nine. So, yeah, that was a whole other ball game. If you want your head to hurt, I can tell lots of stories. Yeah. <laughs> like, But, no, right now, I don't know. We're in the weirdest market structure I've ever seen. Corn basis in Michigan's the worst I've ever seen. I have seen it since ethanol was introduced. Uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, I tried to sell – a deferred package of corn, which isn't as fun as it sounds either. But um, I went to the elevator with the posted bid, the ethanol plant with their posted bid and said, okay, I want to do 75 each, you know, versus respectives out through July. And they said, Oh, we were just getting ready to widen that bid. So we're going to have to take that out a nickel on you. And I'm like, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. But the guy who writes the check is the guy that has the power. So it's, it's really been a weird structure um you know here over the last month or so nothing i've ever dealt with before like i left moved back to michigan and the shit hit the fan so i'm you know struggling i'm just part of me is like well maybe we just need to go back and then the other part of me is like ah that's funny never happening so i don't know 
it's it'll be interesting to see how the year plays out. It'd be nice to get the trade stuff taken care of. But at this point in time, China is like, nope, screw off. We'll talk to you after the election. Mm-hmm. And then. Well, and we don't we don't have a farm bill. We're in a tariff war. We're. Yeah. yeah. We're pretty much screwed up right now. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the people that we've relied on to represent us have kind of dropped the ball. Well, they'll pick it back up here as soon as election time rolls around. Probably. Yeah, they'll come and start kissing babies. And someone said something the other day. It was kind of uh, blatantly obvious, but I hadn't even noticed it. They said, when's the last time Secretary Purdue's been in Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, or Nebraska? Uh, Farm Progress Show? I have no clue. Yeah. Was he at Farm I Progress? I thought he was in Iowa. I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I thought so, but I don't know for sure. So, yeah. So, you know, I would probably avoid Iowa right now if I were an elected <laughs> official. Just saying. I think I think they pretty much avoid anything, don't they? Pretty much. Work, people. Yeah. For the most part, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I I struggle with who you're mad at. Should you be mad? And you can really see it on Twitter now, you know, the political divide that I never had expected to see in agriculture is, is getting more and more blatant by the day, you know. And then there's people who were on one side who are now on what seemed to be the other side. And then there's people like me that were like that poor, defenseless, big, giant-eyed heifer that was being wheeled into the slaughter room who was like, it'll be okay. I have faith. It'll all work out. And then July comes and you get shot in the forehead. I mean, obviously, that didn't really happen. It's not a literal statement, but that's how I feel. Any other questions or conversation points? No, I'm confused. I'll probably just curl up in a ball now and suck my thumb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go talk to a preschooler so I can feel smart. (laughs) Go tell him lots of things about stuff. Go listen to Baby Shark. It'll Uh clear out your brain. I woke up. That song was still in my head the next day after I tweeted that. And I was beginning to think I needed, like, to be committed. It was scary. I I didn't need you to tell me that that was Well, now you know. So go go dance. (laughs) Go dance with your preschoolers on that one. So... I don't know. I guess, you know, just to kind of wrap up, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of we're different st- things. We're still f- Yeah. Basically, right now, I don't know. Well, really, until we find new, more new avenues for our products, I mean, it's not like people are going to go back to CRP or get rid of some of their cows and stop producing milk. Yeah. I mean, we're just, hey, the deal is, is, is production is, is coming to a point. I mean, the yields are, the, the yields, yeah. graphs or curves are just through the roof or whatever you want to call them. Chris had some word for them. I don't know what they were. Um, and, you know, people talk about feeding, what, 100 million people or something by 2020. Can we feed the world? We can feed the world. We can feed the world now. Mm-hmm. It's transportation and getting it where it yeah. needs to go. And acceptance and th- in certain and countries. Things like, and-, and things like tariffs and yeah. all of this. Yeah. GMOs. Uh, Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole host of things. We can feed the world. It's getting it where it needs to go and getting everybody to accept what we're doing. Yeah, it's it's a um, struggle. I don't know. It's, you know, the thing that scares me the most right now or concerns me, I guess, scared is not the, the proper term. It's not like it's a horror movie. Well, it kind of feels that way sometimes. But we also are seeing an increase of interest rates. Slowly but surely, the cost of borrowing is is creeping up and will continue. You know, there's... There's idea that we'll see another Fed rate increase 
in December and three more in 2019. And that's going to spill over directly into LIBOR rates and your ability to borrow, you know, um, which, you know, a percent or two or three on a million dollar plus line of credit really makes a difference. And then our inputs, you know, which is a totally different conversation to have. Um, but, you know, the input, the increase in input value because of the, you know, the crackdown in, in China on environmental issues, you know, closed some plants that were producing some some inputs from what I understand. And then, you know, the tariff has a little bit of a role, the the trade war when it comes, because we started to rely on them for a lot of cheap imports for all kinds of things. And so that obviously is, is still has to work its way through too, to see, you know, we still have to see what is happening you know, or what's going to happen as we work our way next spring. And then obviously consolidation of, of, you know, nitrogen suppliers and stuff like that. I mean, we, we talked about it, Karen, there's a lot of reasons for what's going on, but I mean, shit, like to have inputs come up when prices are dropping, like they are, like is the last thing in addition to increase in interest, yeah. Let's go eat some ice cream. You know, can bring us to another some. point. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at cutting inputs, be careful about what you cut. You know, yeah. if you're going to look at cut fertilizer, then either do soil tests or at least calculate what your removal has been since the last time you put fertilizer on and at least put back on what you took off. Yeah. Um, you know, look at less expensive chemicals or different retail outlets, you know, that may be cheaper. Um, you know, there's ways to cut costs without hurting the crop. So just be careful in what you start cutting. Yeah. You got to take care of the land. I mean, you got to take care of yourself and the land as well. It all has to work together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's hard, but you know, we're here. If you have any questions, obviously, um, Karen's advice is much more expensive than mine. I'd imagine. Cause she's so much smarter than I Don't ask <laughs> like, me anything on markets. You know, <laughs> You have actual like things you could be like, I would do this because this is how it should be. And I'm like, well, you know, I guess it's up to you. Oh, well, that's it's my, still their, my go-to line. It's right still now. their money and they need to make their own decision. True. But, um, but yeah, there's different ways and, and each person's different based on what their situation is. So, or, you know, what they yeah. have access to as far as outlets to buy from and whatnot. But yeah, don't do anything crazy. Make sure you think through your cuts before you actually do them so yes yes so all right anything you guys anything else you guys want to add um our new our, the network you can nope, find I'm us good. on. oh global oh, egg yeah. network you can find us on the global egg network we it is super cool and there's also some really cool um podcasts other really cool podcasts like marketing ones with ag news daily they're super smart. That's Delaney and Mike and guests of the day. And then Brent's uh, the podcast, Dryline Farmer. Dryline Farmer. Yeah, he's super cool too. Um, kind of. He picks on me for tacos with ketchup on them. So we're broke yes, up well, right now. But Jen and I are kind of against there. that too. So. <laughs> oh, your team, Brent. Yeah. I see how it is. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting t-shirts made. We still love you. But I will not I eat try, it in a Mexican but... restaurant. Sorry. I don't do it at a Mexican no. restaurant. It's only at home. It's a different story in a Mexican restaurant, but I don't go to a Mexican restaurant for tacos. It's like going to a steakhouse okay. for a cheeseburger. That's weird. You go to a Mexican restaurant for fajitas because they're a pain in the ass I to make totally it home. I would totally eat a cheeseburger at a steakhouse. <laughs> you would. You would. 
All right. On that note, everyone can sigh in disappointment at Karen eating a cheeseburger at a hey, steakhouse. I was told as long uh, as I ate beef, it didn't matter how it was cooked. <laughs> right. As long as it's not well done. So until next week, have a super awesome, safe harvest. Please be safe. Please, you know, don't don't rush. Make sure you're taking care of yourselves. And if you're tired, get sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. You know. And watch us. the kids. And your family. Yes, please make sure you're taking care of everyone around you as well. So have a great week and uh, we'll be back.